Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I was working as a forest ranger up here in Anchorage when this happened. My job at the time was to patrol the remote areas of the park, make sure nobody ever lit fires they weren't supposed to or throw litter when they weren't supposed to. I was equipped with my own radio and rifle with me at all times in case I had to deal with any squatters or crazy people who came in the woods looking to do bad things or maybe camping out at night illegally when they weren't supposed to. It was just before midnight on a Friday evening. I had been patrolling an area called Barney Creek. I hadn't noticed anything unusual happening, so I wasn't expecting anything like that later that night. But then I found a deceased person, a skeleton, more on that in just a second. On my way back to my car is when I saw this body lying across the trail that I'd been walking on. At first I thought it was maybe an animal due to the condition that the body was in. But as I got closer and looked again, I realized it wasn't a bear corpse or any other animal because there was no fur covering its flesh. It had obviously died quite a while ago. After shining my flashlight around the area more thoroughly, with a sense of growing apprehension tapping into whatever bravery might be needed, I slowly approached the remains, took out my camera before beginning to take pictures of the evidence. I was in no way prepared for what I saw when I moved much closer to take a look. The skull was pretty badly rotted, and there appeared to be a bullet hole right behind the left eye socket. 
Some brutal execution must have also happened, maybe even torture. Judging by how bony and ripped out their chest area looked without flesh, or what was left covering up the ribcage. Whoever they were, somebody wanted them dead and couldn't accept any opposition from whoever they were going after. This meant that whoever killed them was still around, and they'd be coming back. They could have been waiting out for me in the forest, possibly planning to take out their sick revenge on me. I had one mission to get out of there as soon as possible and alert the authorities for backup. I had to run back as fast as I could, which was hard with how freaked out and terrified I was. Still getting lost and occasionally trying to remember every time a branch or leaf would brush against me. I just suspected it was something that could kill me now, kind of like a monster's claw reaching up from behind bushes, ready to grab me by the neck and snap it like a twig. My heart raced with so much fear that I swear it was almost going to pop out of my chest without any warning at all. Finally, after what seemed like forever, I managed then to get away but just collapsed onto the forest floor, completely exhausted. As soon as morning had arrived, I was successful in returning to the area, but the remains were gone. I couldn't tell if somebody had come in and taken them, or maybe some animal decided to bury their body under some dirt or leaves until fully decomposed. In any case, it didn't matter much because no one was going to find out who killed that person. But I realized afterwards, whoever did it might have been looking for me too. It's best not to say anything about my experience now while I'm still working as a ranger. Look, I don't know what happened, but here in Alaska at night, those skeletal remains still haunt me. I have never seen a cadaver in that bad condition. But all I can say is, why didn't everybody just stay away from this area? Why did this happen? Who's this poor soul that got killed? It definitely looked malicious, like somebody had just left the body there. I mean, that's kind of obvious. Had it been an animal, it would have been eaten or torn apart. But the body had been there for a while, and there were no signs of any animals even touching it. How strange, almost paranormal if you will. This incident happened to my grandparents. I'm from Puerto Rico and my grandparents are fully Puerto Rican. Anyway to the story, it was the mid-1960s. My grandma was about 25 and my grandpa was about 20. My grandpa returned from the war in Vietnam and my grandparents moved to a small town on the outskirts of Maricao, Puerto Rico, another small town but slightly bigger. It was a warm night. I'm not sure what time it was because they don't remember, but they know it was about midnight. They saw a light on top of a mountain. Let me explain Maricao. It is a very mountainous region. People that are not familiar with Puerto Rico don't know that Puerto Rico is a really mountainous region. The light was on top of a mountain, but my grandpa thought it was a fisherman because fishermen usually fish at night in the region. The thing is there was no source of water near the mountain, so my grandfather found that weird. Anyway, he kept staring at the light. The light was starting to approach them. It arrived in their front yard about 10 yards in front of them and it stayed there as if the thing was watching them. My grandpa is literally scared of nothing. He's encountered ghosts and the paranormal before and never even had a drop of fear in all of the experiences. He saw a figure in the craft. The craft was about the size of a medium-sized SUV, except it was a shape of an oval. My brave grandpa got a flashlight and seriously walked toward the craft. He turned on the flashlight, the craft left quickly, it looked like disappeared except when he looked at the sky he could see the craft exiting the Earth's atmosphere. After that, he never experienced a UFO sighting, even though he had a lot of paranormal experiences afterward. He believed that the other experiences were somehow related to his encounter with the UFO. So yesterday I was in the Colosseum in Italy. I was on a flyby visit to Rome as I wanted a few days to have a break. I didn't book a ticket in advance and managed to get an entrance ticket without a tour. So I was walking around by myself with the usual number of tourists running around, taking photos and chatting away. Anyway, I was pretty excited as I've always wanted to see Rome. 
I was walking up the stairs to the first floor of the Colosseum when I suddenly felt. Strange, like I was flooded with fear. It was like I was sensing the fear of something else. I knew that the thing I sensed was not only afraid, but knew when it was about to die. It could smell blood and death as it was being let out. The feeling of fear was also tinged with confusion. As I walked up the stairs, the feeling got stronger. I then felt that it was trying to say that its bones were still here. I knew it wasn't human. Now I don't usually feel things like this. I've never felt like I am psychic or anything like that. I'm quite pragmatic, and though I've had weird things happen, it's never been a feeling like this exactly. I also know that the first floor was for spectators, not for anything or anyone who was about to die. So my feeling did not make any logical sense. I was willing to dismiss what I was feeling, and though maybe I'd had too much sun. I got to the top of the stairs and walked around the first exhibition I see were the bones of animals that had been discovered after having been killed in the Colosseum. The feeling got stronger and then just disappeared. I didn't feel anything like that for the rest of my visit. Now I'm home and I can't help but reflect back on those moments. Was it a frightened animal who had died a painful and confusing death, stuck there for millennia and randomly choosing to reach out? Or did I just lose my mind for a moment? I honestly can't shape the feeling, and it's left me unsettled. Has anyone else had a similar experience there or elsewhere? On another note, always book month in advance for a tour to the Colosseum. You can get much better tours than what I got by just turning up. It was a sunny summer afternoon when my friends and I decided to go fishing on the Saskatchewan River in the beautiful province of Saskatchewan, Canada. Little did we know that our outing would turn into an unforgettable encounter with the Sasquatch. As we set up our fishing gear and cast our lines into the calm waters, laughter and excitement filled the air. We joked and shared stories, unaware of the extraordinary event that was about to unfold. It started innocently enough, with strange rustling noises coming from the dense forest surrounding us. At first, we dismissed it as the wind playing tricks on our ears, or perhaps an animal lurking nearby. But as the rustling persisted and grew louder, we couldn't help but feel a sense of unease creeping into our hearts. Suddenly, a towering figure emerged from the trees, capturing our attention like nothing else before. At first glance, we thought it must be some kind of prank. Maybe one of our friends was playing a joke on us, dressed up in a costume to scare us. But as we looked closer, our jaws dropped in disbelief. Before us stood an actual Sasquatch, or Bigfoot as some call it. Its massive frame towered over us, covered in shaggy brown hair. Its muscular arms hung down by its sides, and its eyes seemed to hold a mysterious wisdom. We were dumbfounded, frozen in both awe and fear. It was as if time stood still, and all we could do was stare at this creature of legend. The Sasquatch seemed curious about us as well. It observed us with a mixture of caution and intrigue. We could see its intelligent eyes scanning our group, assessing whether we posed a threat. It seemed almost human-like, yet undeniably otherworldly. As the initial shock wore off, a wave of excitement and fascination swept over us. We fumbled for our cameras, eager to capture this extraordinary moment on film. But as we fumbled with our devices, the Sasquatch, sensing our intentions, vanished back into the depths of the forest, leaving us in a state of disbelief. We spent the rest of the day recounting the encounter over and over, dissecting every detail and questioning our own sanity. Had we truly come face to face with a legendary creature? Our fishing trip had transformed into a surreal adventure, forever etched in our memories. News of our encounter spread like wildfire, sparking both skepticism and intrigue among the locals. Some dismissed our story as a wild fabrication, while others were filled with curiosity and wonder. Regardless of the skepticism, our group knew the truth. We had experienced something truly extraordinary on that fateful day along the Saskatchewan River. From that moment on, our lives were forever changed. We became avid researchers of the unexplained, delving into the mysteries of the Sasquatch phenomenon. 
Our encounter with the legendary creature became the catalyst for a lifelong pursuit of truth and exploration. To this day, we hold on to that memory, cherishing the shared bond we have as witnesses to the enigmatic presence of the Sasquatch. Our fishing trip turned into an extraordinary adventure, connecting us with a world beyond our own, where legends come to life. And though skeptics may scoff, we know in our hearts that we were privileged to have a glimpse into the elusive world of the Sasquatch on that fateful day along the Saskatchewan River. Back in college when I was 19, I went to an art opening on campus. I'd never been in this particular building before. I was just inside the front door in the main lobby. In front of me was the entrance to the gallery space, and to my left is a short hallway that led to the men's and women's bathrooms. The lobby was full of people chatting when someone got everyone's attention to talk about the exhibit. Since I was near the entrance, I was in the back of the crowd while everyone has turned to listen. While the speaker was talking, I saw someone come from the hallway, presumably from the bathroom. It was a man and I was struck by how much he looks like me except 15, 20 years older. He was not listening to the speaker, but stood at the entrance to the hallway and was looking directly at me with giddy grin on his face. He stared for a few seconds, then quickly went back down the hallway toward the bathroom. I was perplexed and kept watching for him to come back out. When the speaker ended, everyone went into the main gallery space expect me. I went to the bathroom to get another look at this person. The bathroom was empty, and there wasn't another door besides the women's room. I've thought about this event a lot since it happened, and always wondered if I'd time travel someday, but now I'm probably older than the person I saw. My memory of what he looked like has degraded as I've thought about this experience, so I can't say if I now look like the man I saw then. Who was this person? Why did they look at me? Where did they go? About four or five years ago, I was walking down a bike path in the back of my house in Fairfax County, Virginia, with my stepdaughter when I saw two boys leaning against their bikes up ahead. I didn't really think much about it since it is a bike path until one of the kids raised his head up and looked me straight in the eye. That's when fear struck me so hard I was stopped dead in my tracks. His eyes were black and hollow like he didn't have a soul. It was like looking at pure evil, at least that's the way I described it when I recounted the incident later that evening to my husband and my other daughter. I immediately led my stepdaughter off the path, cut through someone's yard, and walked out to the street. I didn't know what I had encountered at the time, but now I am quite sure it was the black-eyed children. I don't know what they are, but I know they are dangerous. It was so weird I thought that my stepdaughter would also be aware of what I perceived to be impending danger, but she was completely oblivious, even when I led her off the path and onto the street. I somehow knew I had to get out of there now. Surprisingly, they appeared normal in every other aspect, except for the eyes, of course, and a vague awareness that they didn't quite fit into the environment. I only saw the eyes of one of them because the other kid had his back to me. He looked to be around 13 or 14, flannel shirt and jeans, and a swarthy complexion. Now that I have been reading about these encounters, it piques my curiosity, but I wouldn't want to run into them again. As the title says, I have been hearing knocks on my window at night. They aren't very rhythmic or frequent, but they sound very much like somebody is knocking on the window. I live on the fourth floor of an apartment complex, and there are no trees near or high enough to do it. The weird thing is it only happens late at night past 1 or 2 a.m., but only when I'm trying to sleep. I haven't heard them staying up late yet. There's also other noises, but it's hard to tell if it's the window or my pet rats that get a little crazy at night. The knocks are definitely the window, though. I'm an extremely paranoid person. While I would check it out any other time of day, as soon as everybody is asleep and it's just me. The knocking in the dark, I am paralyzed. My fear response is free, so as soon as I hear it, I hide myself like a child, as best I can, waiting in ice-cold sweat. 
That's what happened today. I couldn't sleep until I heard the knocks at around 1 a.m. I tried ignoring it and listening to calming music, but my one earphone was broken and I still could hear it. I finally managed to sleep only to wake up at 3 a.m. I wanted to sleep again, calm down now, only to become utterly terrified when it continued. I eventually slept through the night, but it was the most stress I never want to experience at night. I was at my grandma's house in the upstairs bedroom. It's a four-bedroom old house on the country, and I'm laying in bed watching Netflix on my phone on the nightstand. There's a door to my grandma's bedroom that's catty-cornered to the open door in the room I'm sleeping in. So I'm laying there watching forensic files, and so my view is kind of distorted from the light on the screen. But I see a black figure walk up and grab the doorknob of the door to the other bedroom, and it just stands there. I'm thinking it's my grandma who is downstairs. She's kind of hard of hearing, so I say grandma a few times. Louder and louder until the hair stands up on the back of my neck, and I lean up in bed and say grandma really loud. At this point, whatever it is knows I'm looking at it, and F replies to me, oh, you can see me, and turns around and F walks away, bro. I didn't know what to do. I sat there for a minute and then got up and looked through all the other bedrooms and nobody was up there. I go downstairs and my grandma's sitting there watching Jeopardy like usual. I asked her if she went upstairs and she said no and has no idea what I'm talking about. I'm not schizophrenic that I know of and was completely sober. Freak the F out of me. Fast forward six months and it's New Year's. Long story short, I am laying in the other bedroom that was catacornered to the one that I was in, the first time in, and out of sleep and crazy hungover. I hear a woman mumbling down the hallway by the bathroom. Hallway and bathroom in the same big bedroom. I don't think any of it, maybe somebody stopped over and I hear them downstairs. There's a balcony in the bedroom that I'm at and a patio out front on the bottom level. I laid there for a little while listening to it but I couldn't make any words out. So I go downstairs and ask my mom and my grandma who are both sitting downstairs. On the other end of the house in the living room watching TV if there was anyone there. My mom said no, I told her I heard some lady upstairs mumbling. She just said no, no one was there so I went back upstairs and tried to get some sleep. As soon as I'm barely asleep I'm laying on my right side and I hear a scream from a girl less than three inches from my left ear. I was so scared I jumped up and ran into the door, then opened it and ran out. Fast forward again to later that night and my mom's spending the night at my apartment. She doesn't live in town she was visiting. My mom said that she hears the lady two some mornings mumbling down the hallway, but she can never make out what it's saying. She just didn't want to say anything in front of my grandmother to freak her out. My grandma doesn't believe in ghosts. What the F, bro? I refuse to sleep over there anymore. Hell no. Any ideas on what I heard or saw? The house was built by my grandfather and his first wife who lived there. They had a young daughter who died of some blood disease. I'm not sure what apparently it's curable today. But I get some super weird anxious vibes from that house. I bought an audio recorder and set it up there for three days. I went through all the audio recordings on my girlfriend's laptop, but I can't hear anything except for some interference every now and then, but it might just be the audio recorder. We live in a neighborhood of small family houses in Arlington, Texas. Every year we have from 40 to 60 trick-or-treaters at our door on Halloween night. They usually consist of small children accompanied by adults, older children in groups, and teenagers who can't seem to give up their childhood fun. Sometimes the teens don't even bother to wear costumes. Halloween night of 2011 was a busy one on our street. At one point I answered the doorbell to a large group of kids of various ages. Two of the tallest ones were dressed in rather flashy costumes. I remember Nylon Net, glitter, sequins, and garish makeup. I don't remember if they were both girls or if one was a boy. I always pay attention and compliment the kids on their costumes. When I looked at the eyes of the teenagers, I was really taken aback. 
The entire visible eyeballs were a shiny coal black. I told them they had great costumes, and I think I asked if those things hurt their eyes. I naturally assumed they were wearing contact lenses covering their entire eye surface. I got no answer to my question. They just sort of smiled. Maybe they just didn't want to converse with an elderly grandmother type. I don't even know if I got a thank you for the candy from them or not. I closed the door before the mass of kids left the porch, so I don't know if the two teens went off by themselves or were with some of the younger kids. I remember mentioning to my husband that some teens were wearing what looked like painful contact lenses and then didn't think about the incident until you told me about black-eyed children. Wow. Or not a wow. Were they hybrids or just ultra-cool teens? I believe the latter, and that they were trying to shock people. In any case, they succeeded with me. I know I would not have let them in my house, whatever they were. Me and like 10 of my friends went to an abandoned mental hospital in Detroit. We just stood way back and threw rocks at it for a while, while one of us worked up the courage to actually go inside. We constantly are seeing things move in the windows of the building and small lights moving and turning on and off, but eventually half of us say F it and find the safest way in. We go through where the trucks used to unload into the building and walk down a long hallway. There's a stairwell nearby where we walked in and I heard voices in the stairwell and no one else heard it but me and my best friend, so we kept moving. We take a couple more turns, stopping occasionally because someone heard something, when soon we come across the most dreaded place we could have found, the morgue cremation room. Tons of graffiti everywhere saying stupid teenager scare tactic shit. Everyone shit themselves when we found that room, but we all chilled in it for a while until we inevitably started to leave. As we leave the morgue it takes you into a hallway where the elevator shafts are, and there is a room across from the door we exit and me and my friend are walking out first when suddenly a girl in a white nightgown steps out from the door across hall and I shit myself. Hoping to cut the silence and maybe get her to react because I was thinking she was like a crazy homeless crack addict I yelled oh shit and she just stood there. Soon after another guy comes out, then another guy, then another girl whose looks made me think they were actually doing heroin. Collectively, we all just went, what the F, and started talking. They told us to put our weapons down because cops go in there all the time and you're not supposed to be on the property let alone with weapons. But we just had like scrap metal from the ground. So we put our weapons down and talked to the other group for a second while I was talking to the nightgown girl and the ringleader I noticed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The cracked out looking one just walk away into the pitch blackness of the corridor behind her. While we all had flashlights, which the kid told us to put those off too. But F that idea. We leave and as we get on the road back to our cars, surprise, surprise, a cop pulls into the road. And we all hid at that point. It was just a couple of us since some were farther ahead and had made it back to their cars while the cops searched the area with a spotlight. That was a crazy or creepy night. Oh, and later that night at like 5 a.m. a dude followed me in his truck because me and my friends fell asleep in my car across the street from his driveway. So he just shined his brights into my car for like 10 minutes while we tripped out to see if he was going to do anything. Plus, we were high and tired, thus very confused. Once I had stopped at a gas station and got out, they pulled up to the pump behind me and just stayed in their truck. I walked inside to pay for gas, came back out to talk to the truck guys, but they left as I was walking out. My master's degree work was looking at stoneflies in coastal Alabama, and it required a lot sampling out in the streams, the habitat for juvenile stoneflies around Mobile Bay. 
When I went sampling, I'd have to get into the stream and collect five packets of leaves that collected in the stream at random intervals in a 100-meter stretch of the stream. I sampled from June 2012 through July 2013 for two different projects, one that used the same four streams for an entire year, and another project that used about 20 different streams in the fall and spring season. When I went sampling, I parked an old Ford Iconoline van with a big university sticker won it by the side of the road near a bridge then climb down and hop in the stream and go to work. With these streams being out in the woods and some of them being damn remote, creepy stuff happened every so often from metal scrappers asking for any good finds, a decrepit old baby doll in the woods, walking up on a dog grave site under a bridge a truck stopping on the bridge of a 30-meter-wide river terrible place to sample for my work by the way and watching me and my sampling partner from a distance, and so many other things I could keep going on. But this is the time I truly felt I was going to die. At the beginning of my field work in the summer, it was easy to coordinate with lab mates to get a sampling partner to make the work easier and safer. But late in the fall 2012 semester, my main sampling partner had finished her thesis and didn't come to campus much can't blame her, so I started sampling by myself in later November or early December. It added some extra time onto my day, but it made scheduling easier and more consistent and nothing dangerous had happened going solo, so I was good with the change. It was the early spring of 2013 and I was traveling to the second stream of the day, hitting a stream I'd seen twice a month for the last seven or eight months. I knew it like the back of my hand and thought I'd seen everything it had to offer. I rolled up about 10 a.m., munching on an apple I had started when I left the previous stream and tossed the apple core into the clearing that I had parked the van in. This stream had a nice clearing off the side of the road, but was a 30-meter or so walk to the stream with a slight decline over eroded dirt and gravel, so I couldn't see the other side of the stream. I blissfully rolled up my trusty, punctured chest waders and walked to the trunk, packed up my gear, grabbed my sever sampler, a fine mesh net that attaches to a folding base and metal meter stick. I casually strolled down to the stream ready to take my usual piss under the bridge as I do at every stream when across the stream I see a dog. I think it is a border collie German shepherd mix, but I am not that great with dog breeds. I stop in my tracks staring at it waiting to see if its owner will show up from the woods, but mostly debating if I could still piss, but the dog takes the first move. It makes a loud solitary bark and then runs off into the woods downstream. It promptly returns, but it isn't alone. There is another identical dog with it. They don't make any noise. They just stand attentively on the other side of stream staring at me. I can't make out any colors around their neck. But they had a lot of fur there is about 20 meters separating us since neither of us are that close to the stream bank. The stream bank is relatively high from the water, about 2-3 meters where the standoff happened, and I was on the side with a small steep entrance, so I figured I could get my work done and the dogs would leave me alone. As I'm climbing down they are mirroring my distance into the stream, but not getting closer to the edge of the stream. I check over my shoulder to still see them watching me from the clearing and still think I'm fine so I start walking upstream. The dogs keep following me, but now they enter the forest. These dogs were not frolicking around the woods. They hunched down, hid behind trees and foliage to conceal themselves, and were dead silent. I couldn't hear them move over the sound of the stream. This is when I am proper spooked. As I kept going and they kept following me, I started to move closer to the opposite bank as often as could, and was walking slower than usual in the shifting sands and rushing water making sure that I didn't lose my footing. Every five meters or so, I would stop to locate them, but there were several times that I lost where they were. I didn't need to see them to feel their eyes out in the woods. Over time, they stopped staying parallel with me and began to stay slightly behind me. After what felt like an eternity, I made it to my fifth sampling spot 95 meters into the stream, just my luck that day. The longest sampling for the day had wild dogs. I felt a wave of relief since I could now turn around and make my way back to the van, but I had to stay in the stream since the stream banks were still too steep to climb out. The dogs had a different plan, 
All the way through the stream, they stayed together, but now they spilt up. One stayed about three to five meters ahead of me, while the other one was behind me about three to five meters. They hadn't made an advance and were still hiding in the woods, but having one in front and one behind filled me with dread. Walking in, it was easy to keep my back from being exposed and face them, even if I couldn't see them, but now things changed. I turned so I was parallel with the stream banks the dogs were on and began to make my way downstream. The dogs maintained this pattern for about 70 meters before things become decidedly more dangerous. About 20 meters from the clearing, there is a gradual slope that leads to the water on the dog's side of the stream. The dog ahead of me stretches its lead while the one behind me comes down the slope and enter the stream with me. I raise my meter stick towards the dog in the water and my subber sampler net to the dog on the stream bank in front of me and begin to yell. Basically, I look like the science nerd version of the gladiator with the net and trident. I can see the clearing, but my eyes just keep darting from dog to dog and I am slowing backing towards the clearing. The water near the stream dog deepens and luckily for me, it doesn't want to swim for its meal. It runs up the slope and joins its comrades still ahead of me. From here until the gravelly steep slope on my side of the stream, the dogs stay ahead of me hiding in the brush, but never making a move. I scrambled up the slope and starting making my way to the van. The dogs come out of the woods and advance to the edge of the stream bank. I just kept facing them while backing my up to the van. Once I got back to the van, I hurriedly packed everything back up and left before I could eat my lunch at the stream site. I had to return to that stream about eight more times, but I never saw those dogs again. It was the longest two hours of my life. I was driving west on U.S. Highway 2 between the city of Ball Club and Benham, Minnesota. This occurred on March 3, 2019 at around 7.15 p.m. I was approaching a black vehicle, and as I got closer it increased its speed keeping pace with me. I was within 100 yards of the vehicle. It went into the oncoming lane of traffic and accelerated causing the rear of the vehicle to drop slightly. At that instant, a very large cloud of white smoke filled the highway. I slowed my vehicle and turned toward the shoulder on the north side of the highway. As I went through the cloud, I expected to see the vehicle stopped or black marks on the road. Once I was in the cloud, I could see out, but it was still thick. I watched the ditch on the south side of the highway as well, but saw no evidence of the vehicle leaving the roadway. I expected to smell burnt rubber from the tires skidding or spinning on the highway, but there was no smell. As I came out of the cloud, I could see for a couple of miles as the highway was straight. There were vehicles approaching from some distance to the front, but no one going in my direction. I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was another vehicle coming around the cloud on the north side also. I wanted to stop that vehicle to see what they saw and thought of the encounter but I didn't feel comfortable with that knowing how to get them to stop. All I can tell you about the vehicle is that it was a mid-sized black sedan. Nothing special at all about it. I couldn't wrap my head around what I had just seen, and for nearly an hour the hair on my arm stood straight on end. It was a very strange experience. I didn't see it in the air or anything, so maybe not connected to a UFO. The only other explanation I can conclude would be spiritual, or a ghost if you will. No matter what I am still very freaked out and bothered by what I witnessed. When I was very young under 10 my dad would take us to various deer leases for the weekends here in central Texas. There were always cabins of some sort for us to stay in. This one weekend we went to a lease near Eagle Lake where there was an old a-frame house one-room affair really that was at the end of a very windy road. You couldn't see the house until you came right up on it. Well, this one weekend we came driving out of the oaks only to notice that there was smoke coming from the chimney, trash all over the yard, etc. There weren't any vehicles though. My dad stopped the truck, got out his rifle, glassed the house for a little while, then decided whoever was there must have cleared out when they heard the truck coming, and seeing as how there was no way we would have missed a vehicle leaving, they must have bugged out on foot. 
I still have dreams 20 years later about walking into the house to look around. Whoever had been there obviously loved to smoke as there were ashes and cig butts everywhere. Most of the canned goods we stored up there had been eaten, the cans dumped in the yard, and there was a pot of deer corn, yes, deer corn, boiling on the stove. The thing that has stuck with me over the years was the smell and the open coloring books scattered on the table with crayons dropped in mid-coloring. Out there in the woods was some poor family with at least one kid. I imagined they sat watching us for quite some time before giving up and wandering off. My dad, lacking much sense, decided that we were staying the weekend. Yeah, didn't sleep much. Chief Petty Officer Marcus Kane had seen it all during his years as a Navy SEAL. He had faced enemy combatants in the most treacherous of terrains, overcome the odds in countless missions, and earned a reputation as a fearless and unflinching leader. Yet, nothing could have prepared him for what he and his team were about to encounter deep within the remote coastal regions of Iraq. Tasked with a classified mission to gather intelligence on an extremist group that had been causing havoc in the region, Kane's team prepared to deploy under the cover of darkness. The moon hung low in the sky, casting an eerie glow over the jungle as they began their infiltration. The team moved with the precision of a well-oiled machine, each member relying on their training and instincts to navigate the hostile terrain. As the mission unfolded, however, strange occurrences began to unsettle the team. Bizarre symbols etched into the trees seemed to appear out of nowhere, sending a shiver down the spines of the seals. Whispers, faint but unmistakable, echoed through the night air, filling their ears with an unsettling presence that defied explanation. Equipment that had always been reliable suddenly malfunctioned without reason, adding to the growing sense of unease. Kane's experience and leadership were put to the test as tensions rose within the team. He knew that maintaining cohesion was vital, but the psychological toll of the inexplicable events was taking its toll on even the most seasoned warriors. Late one night, as the team huddled around a dimly lit fire, Kane could see the fear in their eyes. He knew he had to find a way to restore their confidence and address the growing uncertainty that was eroding their trust in their own senses. Then came the encounter that would change everything. It was during a routine patrol that one of the SEALs managed to capture shaky footage of a creature unlike anything they had ever seen. The footage showed a face covered in brown fur with a mouth that was barely discernible from the distance of the camera. The creature's head bore the unmistakable dome shape and sloping forehead associated with gorillas. It was as if a Bigfoot creature had come to life before their eyes. Fear turned into a collective determination. The seals shifted from being the hunted to becoming the hunters. They knew they couldn't allow this unknown predator to continue plaguing their mission and sowing terror among their ranks. Armed with their training, experience, and a newfound sense of purpose, the team embarked on a relentless pursuit of the creature. The pursuit led them deeper into the heart of the jungle, where the line between reality and the supernatural seemed to blur. Kane found himself grappling with skepticism and a sense of awe as the evidence of the creature's existence mounted. The symbols, the whispers, and the encounters all pointed to a reality that challenged his understanding of the world. With each step, the tension grew. The juxtaposition of elite warriors facing an enigmatic and potentially supernatural foe created a gripping sense of urgency. As the team closed in on the creature's lair, the final confrontation became inevitable. In a climactic battle that tested their limits, the seals faced off against the creature. Bullets and adrenaline flowed in equal measure as they fought to overcome an adversary that defied rational explanation. Kane's leadership, tempered by years of experience and his newfound openness to the unknown, guided the team through the perilous encounter. When the battle was over, the creature lay defeated, its existence now an unsettling memory. As the team regrouped and made their way back to safety, they carried with them a story that defied easy explanation. They had faced the inexplicable, navigated the horrors of the unknown, and emerged victorious not only as warriors, but as witnesses to a truth that expanded their understanding of the world.
so my husband and I were watching a scary movie. We don't usually watch scary movies, but we thought it would be fun since our kid was staying with his grandparents for the night. About halfway through the movie we got bored of it and decided to call it a night. It was around 11.30 p.m. We were watching it in our bed so we just turned off the TV and lights and laid down. Within maybe 30 seconds of turning off the movie, I hear a man talking. It sounded like it was coming from our basement. We live in a log home and we sleep in the loft which is open to the rest of the house. The stairs leading up to our room are made of half logs, so you can peer through them and see down into the stairs leading directly below into the basement, which also has no door. At first I thought maybe I was imagining it. I have auditory hallucinations before I fall asleep all the time, so I thought that's what it was. We have a German Shepherd who sleeps at the top of the stairs in the loft with us, and she hadn't seemed to notice anything. About ten seconds after hearing the voice, I hear several other sounds. Sounds of something moving in the basement. Jostling and gentle thuds. At this point my husband whispers, Did you hear that? And I'm like, Yes. And he says, It sounded like a man talking. And I'm like, OMG yes. So he jumps out of bed, puts on his robe, gets the gun, and starts checking around the house. I have my phone up ready to dial 911 if need be. He starts in the basement, nothing. All the windows are closed and locked, and the alarms on them are undisturbed. Same with the sliding door. We check the rest of the house and still nothing. I'm super freaked out at this point. He has to get up early for work, so we go back upstairs to our bed. He goes to sleep. But I'm too freaked out and I stay up with the lamp on ready to attack the sneaky intruder until around 2 a.m. when I was too tired to stay up any longer. I heard a couple more strange noises up until I fell asleep. Most of them I attributed to the house shifting. My box fan made a high-pitched squealing noise a few times, which I've never noticed before. Almost sounded like bats squeaking. I just cannot relax about the situation because I can't come up with a solution as to why this happened. The house was secured. There's no way anyone could be inside. We live in a rural area and know our neighbors. They don't wander around our property. It just doesn't make sense. The voice didn't sound particularly threatening. It sounded like a country boy talking to his buddy. Not super loud, not quiet, just a casual interaction. Edit. I previously selected the wrong tag for this post. My bad guys. I don't believe in ghosts. If I see someone I don't know and trust like on TV for example telling a ghost story, I struggle to believe them. That being said, I had an experience when I was around 10 years old that I'm going to share today. This was in approximately 2003. My friend and I were walking to football training. I live in a quiet countryside town in Scotland. To get to the football training, we would walk past the tennis courts as it saved a lot of time. The tennis courts are located at the bottom of a wide open grassy area. Next to the tennis courts is a sloped section of ground that runs the length of the court. I think it's meant to be the stand where people can sit or stand and watch. It's sort of like a grassy pyramid that's been stretched out in length. There is a path that leads down to the stand and just stops. On the far side of the stand is a small wooded area. We were on the path walking toward the tennis courts. It was broad daylight. No one is around. The wooded area briefly falls out of view as the path is on a slight decline. We walk up the hill of the stand onto the main body of it, and there is a woman standing at the trees. She has stood with her hands clasped in front of her, looking directly at us. My friend and I are walking toward her. She has stood between a fence and a small stream that's guarded by a waist-height fence. We walk the length of the court, now less than ten meters from her. She hasn't moved. She's just continued to stand and stare. We turn at the bottom of the court now with our back to her. We haven't said a word, but we looked at each other and ran. The woman was gray in appearance, but wasn't transparent or anything. She looked like a real person, but she was a sort of uniform color. Washed out looking. Clothes included. 
It's quite hard to describe. She didn't move once. And I don't mean she just stood still. She didn't move at all. She was three-dimensional, but it was like she was a cutout that had been placed there. My first thought wasn't, oh my god, it's a ghost, only afterward did we realize what might have just happened. There is nowhere this woman could have came from. There are two-meter fences blocking everywhere apart from the far side entrance to the tennis court and the approach we used to get there. The far side entrance line of sight is never broken. The stand only obscures a part of the wooded section for a moment. She simply was not there. We broke line of sight for five, ten seconds, and there she was. The village I live in is small. I had never seen this person before, and I haven't seen her since. For a good ten years, that area would terrify me at night. I would hug the fence until I had to turn my back to the area we saw her at which point I would run. Doesn't matter how muddy the grass was, it was genuinely too frightening to care about the condition of my shoes. I don't know how to explain this. I tell people I don't believe in ghosts if they ask, but I always offer this story as a consolation. Looking back on it, I wish I spent more time looking at her. As it was happening despite not realizing what I was potentially looking at, the unbroken eye contact was unsettling. It made it difficult to look at her. That friend and I don't speak anymore, we haven't for around 15 years. But I bumped into him in the town about four years ago. The first question I asked him once the greetings were over and done with was, Remember we saw that ghost? He said, I do mate, I... So a few years later, my cousin and I went out to check deer feeders or stands. As we were crossing a field to get to a deer stand that was set up on poles 8-10 foot off the ground, we noticed what we presumed to be a head peering over the top of the wall watching us. We were a good 100 yards off, but it was obvious that something was in the stand. My cousin wanted to go check it out, but I got spooked. I don't know if it was that uneasy feeling of predation or my past encounter with vagrants at our lease. But I talked him out of confronting whatever was up there. We hustled back and told our dads what we had seen. We went back to the stand, but didn't see anything watching us this time. So we crossed the field, climbed the pipe ladder to the landing, and found open cans of soup, some dirty clothes, and a mutilated fawn. Whoever had been squatting in our deer stand had killed, and was eating a young deer without benefit of cooking as far as we could tell. There was blood everywhere. Could this be Sasquatch? We never did run into whoever was surviving out there. Fortunate for him, because I was ready to shoot anything that moved after that. That's the last of my experiences. As you can imagine, I didn't enjoy going to deer leases as a kid.